Welcome to episode 13 of NFT World. I am Bicek. I am with Legendary again after a seven-day hiatus as Legendary has been traversing both Europe and the ocean to now reside in San... Which San is it? Not Francisco, Diego. Exactly. GM from sunny San Diego. GM. Uh, how is it going? What What have you been doing on your travels? Well, first, um, I went to Scotland for Trevor Jones Jones's castle party uh, for Bitcoin angel holders. That was a pretty amazing way to kick off my um, holiday, exploring Edinburgh a bit, heading to Stirling for the castle party, and then straightly connecting into San Diego, where I'm going to spend all of August. And it feels good being here, man. It's really exciting. And finally, for the first time, it feels like I'm in the right time zone for all of the <laughs> NFT shenanigans. How does it compare? Because I know one of the issues we always have here is that we're behind, sorry, we're ahead of both the states and we're kind of waiting for them and then we have to end up waiting up late. Does it? Do you feel on the West Coast that you're in a better position than the people on the East Coast or do you think the East Coast is actually the optimum place? I think the West Coast is really, really excellent for that. Like there was this um, Brendan Dawes drawing a Nifty Gateway. Typically it would have been like 1 a.m. my time. And yeah. here was like a casual 3 p.m. thing that you, <laughs> you know, just could do between grabbing a coffee and planning your afternoon activities. So yeah. that's really good. I mean, there's a couple of um, Twitter spaces that I like that are like pretty early um, from a West Coast point of view. But I'm used to getting up early, so I like the, you know, the sweet spot of being in this very time zone. Yeah, that's pretty good. I miss so many drawings now on Nifty Gateway. Like they're still putting out good stuff, and it's always good because they always have great artists, and it's always it's always worth participating in the drawings if you can at a minimum. But it's just too late for me here. So I've I've missed the I missed the Brendan Dawes one that you just mentioned. I missed the, I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's like O-X-T-J-O. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. I've I, seen it. I don't know how but to I pronounce it. I can't, I can't help with the name either. You're the yeah, native but, speaker though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I can't read numbers slash letters, uh, but his work or their work is really, really cool. It's really, really distinct. And they did one recently as well. And missed that too. But this is life. And one of the interesting things we've been trying to navigate is doing the business jointly in, well, kind of running airdrop season from afar. And it's kind of been, well, we took a break from some of the media just for a week for you to get acclimatized. But I think it's going to be interesting. We'll be able to serve for the first time all of the NFT holders, like on a, on a, on a kind of rotor almost. We'll always be awake, basically, someone. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes total sense. Like, we have a couple of members in our Discord who, um, well, obviously are in the US and they yeah. obviously like posting late night when we are asleep when we're both in Europe. So yeah. I like the fact that at least for a month we can cover like 24 hours of content and Discord activity and just be there and engage and, and chat with our community. Yeah, I'm really interested to see, even in general for you, like, even on Twitter and stuff, just how it feels to be on the same uh, time zone as people, whether you find it way, way more helpful, way easier. 
Uh, my that's GMs are doing way better. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Your GM, like we we have to wait in the afternoon here to do them. But I don't know if you've noticed, I've started just doing them anyway at my morning time, and they're actually doing pretty well. Yeah, doing pretty yeah. well. I saw it. Um, I saw it. <laughs> I mean, it always felt weird to like kind of schedule a European GM for like six or seven p.m. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just doing them now, but. Anyway, we've got a load of interesting stuff to talk about today because, well, there's always a lot to talk about every single week, but Twitter also was sort of broken in half by the Moonbird CCO announcement. Uh, so that's one of the main things we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about uh, a Magic Eden, the marketplace on Solana, which has started to incorporate NFTs from Ethereum. We're also going to talk about Tiffany's entry into the metaverse and with their first NFT and how they went about that, what was good, what was uh, maybe a bit more questionable, and also some general other interesting points like Instagram in integrating NFTs and Lamborghini entering the fray also. So we, it, I think it makes complete sense to start with the Moonbird CCO announcement, which literally ripped Twitter in half and also was kind of the final straw for me and I ended up selling my Moonbird and the back of it. Just before I get into that, what was your kind of take on the announcement? I was extremely surprised to see that. Like, Just as a first quick point, like, should we just say r very, very roughly, what is CCO versus what did people think that they had with the Moonbirds? Yeah, definitely. Maybe you as a lawyer can, can give yeah, us a sure. quick intro on that. So, I mean, yeah, very, very basically what happened was uh, Moonbirds announced that their 10,000 piece NFT collection would go CCO, which essentially means that the people holding the Moonbirds, you, you sort of waive your commercial rights and those rights get turned over to the public domain where essentially anyone whether they are a holder or whether they're not a holder are allowed to kind of use the moonbird in whatever way they would like to whereas obviously the previous understanding had been that when the moonbirds were sold to people you as the individual holder held the commercial rights because that's how they were sold but this was a decision which was changed this week and it made people lose their mind, basically. Um, not always because, not necessarily because the fact they were like, oh, I was going to monetize my Moonbird and build an ice cream brand. And now I can't because a lot of the points being made is like, look, if you want to do that, you still can. But I think a lot of the annoyance was around the communication of this and also the fact like, look, you sold something in one for one in one way. Then now you've just changed your mind. Is like, is this how things are going to continue? Like, what are the other things that you sold? And what are the other terms that you said were one thing? And then you're just going to change randomly in two weeks or two months. That was one of the big issues. But what's your take? And then I'll get into it a bit more. Yeah, it's the the massive problem, in my opinion is the expectation management. You buy your NFT with a certain set of expectations, either regarding the roadmap, regarding what the project tries to build, regarding the IP rights that you get with it. And I think this holds especially true for Moonbirds 
seeing that they're like such a high value asset um, because people, you know, having experienced the board ape ecosystem and seeing that licensing deals are actually a thing. Yes, they are still very novel, but people have worked out licensing deals. There is a platform that even facilitates automated licensing of your high value assets. And I think that the Moonbirds are like a top tier NFT project and that licensing them is a very reasonable and legitimate thought and changing the rights and changing the licenses after, you know, the sale has been conducted a couple of months into building the project without any prior heads up to that feels terrible in my opinion. It's not that I have like an issue per se with Creative Commons, not at all. It's a wonderful licensing model, but you can't change that midway in the game. Yeah, there was this tweet that I saw from Kevin Rose, which said something like, I don't know, something, something, something. I should, <laughs> that's not really the way to quote people properly, but it said something, something, something. If you're here along for the ride with us, like buckle up or something. And I was thinking, I've got like a $30,000 asset invested in your project. And the way that you're going to speak to us is, oh, if you're here for the ride, like buckle up. It's like, are you crazy? like this is not this is not a joke and i think again like we've been speaking i think on air last time and separately in general just about how or one of my thoughts in general is that people are seriously out of touch with i don't know the the worlds that they're building the people who are buying their stuff like obviously we're doing we must be doing reasonably well in order to be able to invest 25 to thirty thousand dollars in a picture of a bird but i just felt like I felt that wasn't the right response to kind of say, well, we're going to, you know, move fast and break thing. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't saying that in this context, but the general kind of feeling that I was taking away from it was, you know, we're going to move fast. We're going to break things. We're going to kind of try to push the boundaries, which in a sense I'm all for, I'm all for those things, but there's, there's definitely an issue with just saying one thing and then within two months doing changing the terms under which we thought we operated and i know i'm not suggesting there's any legal issue with what they're doing i'm sure they're within their legal rights to do this it just makes me unconfident that there we can really rely on their word essentially because things will keep changing yes the the faster you move the faster you break things the the more likely it is that change is going to be there so that was one of my other reservations yeah and look when i worked in management consulting and we were working with companies that had massive changes merge and acquisitions etc change management was a very very important thing that companies often overlooked it's so easy to overwhelm people it's easy to overwhelm employees when they got used to something and it suddenly changes and the very same holds true for investors who put like um, a significant amount of money into your project on the one hand and are also emotionally invested, obviously, because they are part of a very cool community. And ultimately, it all runs down to like a communication issue, in my opinion, because um, even if you want to change it to, you know, to completely change the, the licensing terms, I'm sure that they would have found a way to do that and not, you know, alienate half of the community if they 
communicated in advance and you know shared the plans communicated with the holders and ultimately it's again it's a communication issue that we see so very often in this space and maybe it's not this space maybe it's the people are just terrible at communicating Um, i don't know obviously not in general but i feel like it's pretty accentuated and maybe it's because of um the fact that everything as you just said moves so fast in this space and changes so fast which is per se not a bad thing it's very good right because we're early and we're exploring and innovating um but this makes communication way more challenging and i feel that you know many projects don't put a lot of emphasis on that yeah i i definitely agree that on one level kind of basic change management and communication around that is lacking not just with uh proof to be honest like this is a a across the board issue in the nft space and to be fair it's not easy but it's just something that needs to be done better but i also think in addition to that there's some quite disingenuous communication going on and that's a slightly stronger thing to say but one of the reasons and this might be a legit reason to be honest but one of the reasons given for making this move is that they won't have to kind of waste time on enforcing their ip and blah 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 blah. it's just like i don't even think that makes like there are huge huge colossal companies that have ip and they protect it where it's necessary and they ignore it where it's necessary like you just deal with it i just don't find the the reasons yeah. compelling and going back to one of their previous uh spaces i just when they oh, it was about the oddities and when they were sort of again admitting that their communication wasn't up to standard they were sort of saying that they were they should have realized that there would have been more kind of speculation on stuff and that they you know should have provided more information so that people were clear on what they're buying and it's like i didn't it's not obvious to me that this is honest communication because either you do either you you do know that people were going to speculate on it and you're lying or you don't know that people are going to speculate on it and if you didn't know well what world are you living in when we've seen the nft market in the last year and if you really didn't know that people were going to speculate on it then that's just entirely incompetent and out of touch with the whole nft market as it is because obviously there is all sorts of speculation going on all the time so uh, those are the only two real scenarios i can see in that situation and i feel like again this is not just proof but one of the things that's happening in the space in general is that there's a lot of disingenuous communication going on and people are speaking to us as if we're stupid because we're, we've got like uh, cartoon characters as our profile pictures and they've raised loads of money at mint and it's like well we're not stupid like as you said you're a management consultant i'm a former lawyer i'm a qualified lawyer in london i'm a teacher as are so many of these other people who are part of your projects who are super intelligent super thoughtful and just acting like we're, we we don't get it or giving us random reasons is not going to cut it yeah and you made the perfect point like one thing is holding ip rights and the other thing is enforcing them and arguing that it removes legal complexity is absolute nonsense if you have ip rights for the moonbirds collection and someone collects a moonbird nazi derivative go after it and 
shut that project down immediately. You know, use the fullest extent of your IP rights to enforce them and shut that down. It's a bad actor. No doubt, no question about that. Someone, I don't know, starts a little cafe and choose, chooses to use their own Moonbird as part of the logo or create stickers or whatever. It's a cute little side hustle project. Well, let them be. You don't need to enforce everyone using your IP. So you own the rights, but it's your liberty when you choose to enforce them and when you don't do that, as so many big you know, corporates and IP rights holder do that. So the legal complexity that they wanted to um, remove with, with, with changing to um, CCO is nonsense, in my opinion. It's just a pretext. And it, it makes the point that it at least feels, I, I don't think it's their intention, but it feels um, like they are assuming that the community is stupid and wouldn't, you know, figure out their legal speak and figure out that their pseudo reasoning doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. And it's like, look, I don't have time to listen in to multiple spaces every couple of weeks to hear some long diatribe of how, how and why, you know, the thought process behind a decision, which again, has confused all sorts of people. And then in that, I don't know if you saw, there was actually, there was actually a person who has it hasn't really provided the full details, but someone who said that they lost a six-figure licensing deal on the back of that. But it was a kind of complex arrangement where it wasn't like straight money. It was like, okay, you're going to advise on the project. We were going to use the bird, blah, blah, blah. But going back to what I was saying before, it's just these long explanations given in Twitter spaces are kind of really, really grating on me now. And I guess maybe in my voice, people can might be able to tell that I'm pretty annoyed <laughs> about having to listen to people speak down to all sorts of um, investors slash holders. And I'm just tired of it. So I sold and I feel great, <laughs> frankly. Um, it was Did I sell towards the bottom? Yes. Do I think uh, proof of Moonbirds are still going to be good? Probably. Like I, this is by no means, this is you know kind of pretty uh, strong words on my part, but I don't think the CCO announcement like act like in in a week's time it's gonna even less than that probably by tomorrow it will have already blown over, and it's not gonna make a huge difference in the grand scheme of thing I think. But the th- the issue that will keep cropping up because this has been proven on a number of occasions now is the type of communication and uh, I just don't want to be communicated with like that anymore. So I'm out and I'm feeling pretty good. You randomly uh, texted me yesterday that you sold your Moonbird. Like we were having a conversation and one of the lines was kind of, by the way, I sold my Moonbird. I had enough of the communication. Um, was, was that the main reason, would you say that the, just the, the, the overall lack of communication or the, sudden changes annoyed you a bit too much and made you uncomfortable holding your moonbird or well i i have a number of reasons actually the the name of the substack article which if you're not subscribed to you should the b check papers is actually why i sold my moonbird like obviously there's all the other stuff about nfts going on what's been going on this week but i'm good i want to lay it out 
in a bit more methodical way because um i think speaking about it i'll just i'll say a bunch of random stuff and yeah the things that i've alluded to already are part of the reasons but there are actually some more reasons so i'm going to write about it in a bit more of a methodical way i'm curious how you're going to feel in a couple of months like if you're going to have any regrets or um, if you're going to miss your moonbird, like I certainly sometimes <laughs> still miss the, the board ape that I used to rock as a profile picture for quite some time. I even miss the other ape that I didn't use as my PFP, but sold at some point. So, yeah, I think, I think it's perfectly possible. Like, I think, yeah, we do, we do establish these legitimate connections with, with these, with these assets that we have, particularly when they're used as our identities. But in the end, I've always been aware that one of the annoying things about using a corporate entity's identity as your identity is that you are beholden to the entity to keep representing you to some degree. Like whatever the decisions they make is something that you basically are supporting by having your nft and if you don't like the stuff that they do or the way that they speak or the way whatever and this is not just about proofs just in general it's actually a pain because suddenly your identity is tied to this corporation when these are corporations this is the thing one of the other things we haven't really touched on is that these are corporations now these are like corporate corporate owned identities and we're all just buying into them which is interesting in a crypto space which is typically so anti corporation like if facebook were to d distribute ten thousand profile pictures no one in our space would be buying them because it's like we're anti web 2 blah 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 anti corporation but when these other huge uh, uh other huge web 3 companies are doing it it's just like oh this is going to be fine one day when there is web 4 we'll look back at web 3 corporations and be like well they're super annoying aren't they the way they keep uh, changing their mind the way they keep changing their terms we'll never ever buy any of their stuff again so maybe i'm like 10 years ahead or maybe i'm making a terrible mistake but i'm kind of comfortable with it because it was annoying me too much i'm gonna set myself a reminder to ask you like in 10 episodes how you feel about selling your <laughs> moonbird but the, the the actual question is now that the moonbirds turned um cco did you buy a boon bird? Yeah, so well, I actually saw that one morning, and before I sold the moon, but actually, I bought one just for a laugh. To be honest, um, I bought one. I haven't really monitored it now, and I don't really, I like, I don't think I'm going to replace my moonbird with my boon murd. <laughs> um, for people who don't know, boon murds uh, were established within 24 hours of moonbirds going CCO. Initially, they were called moonbirds two. Because someone on Twitter, I think it was Tropo Farmer, said they someone should make Moonbirds too, and within 24 hours it was created, and they were like getting a fair amount of volume. To be fair, they were selling for maybe fifty, sixty dollars. Some of the nicer ones, maybe a hundred or so. Yeah, um, a, a good friend of mine, Top Notch, texted me that evening, and he was like, "Did you see the Moonbirds V2? I'm gonna buy some. They're like a point oh two. and I was like, you know, almost ready to go to bed. I was like, nah, I'm not going to get up for that. Next morning, 0.064. <laughs> but I yeah. think they, are, um, they they dumped again a bit. So, Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. They're probably going to fade into complete irrelevance, I assume. But 
You don't think you know. they're going to take over the world? <laughs> I do think they will. Well, it's now possible. So once, if if they were too successful, then they'd have to be Moonbirds 3, Moonbirds 4, or Boon Murds 2, Boon Murds 4. I don't know. So <laughs> look, I will tie the knot on that conversation and I will articulate it more in more detail in my paper coming out tomorrow so look out for that because it might be might be a little bit emotional too but let's see uh moving on to the next piece of news which we think is pretty important is that tiffany's introduced their first nft into uh the ecosystem in the last few days it was a at a very hefty price tag of 30 ether it was reserved for well anyone could buy them but the whole point of buying them was that cryptopunk holders would be who who own the nft would be able to get a pendant of their cryptopunk made for them so that was the premise about $55,000 for a pendant of your cryptopunk but anyone could buy them at the time initially the response was, oh, this is really expensive. But then a lot of people were like, oh, this is good. This is kind of cool. This is a cool idea. They'll definitely sell out. And they did sell out. But then we saw that some of the reason why it sold out was because lots of people were trying to flip them. And then uh, people sold for a reasonable amount less than the floor price or the price that they were sold at 30 ETH. So what did you think of all of that? What do you think of that offering? Was it cool? Um, honestly, I thought it was a cool offering. I didn't really understand why, you know, crypto Twitter was all like, this is too expensive um, because you can't compare like with your typical PFP drop. If a company does an NFT drop, you have to compare it to their, you know, typical product offering. And in Tiffany's world, 50K isn't a hefty price, a hefty price tag. It's very, very average. So um i wasn't i wasn't surprised to see see that price tag i like the approach of uh, tying it to a crypto punk and only making it redeemable for a crypto punk owner so basically now there's like 250 um crypto punk owners who could have a pendant made by tiffany based on their crypto punk which i think is a pretty cool and unique approach for a traditional company to enter the market target the the high value assets target the historically super super relevant asset and build something around that i think that is a very unique approach rather than just releasing another pfp drop and also incorporating your actual product offering because this is what they actually do high-end jewelry so i i like the approach very much um but again there there's also an ip part to talk about and I kind of feel like um, this this episode episode should be renamed to IP World instead of NFT World, and and Crypto Twitter turns into IP Twitter. But I mean, we talked about that a couple of episodes ago. The IP rights of your NFTs and what it actually means to own an NFT um, are still very unclear, but highly highly relevant. So we will unavoidably have more and more of these discussions. Yes, so one of the discussions about the NFT term, the NF, the Tiffany's NFT terms, was that 
there was some wording in there that said that you grant, but by buying the Tiffany NFT, you grant an irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free license to use your CryptoPunk and any associated intellectual intellectual property rights. Um, so I think one of the issues was is that this made it sound <laughs> the way people responded was that uh, people thought that <laughs> Tiffany's had just stolen everyone's IP and that now Tiffany's would be able to use this type of, well, use people's crypto punks for whatever they want in the future, advertising, branding, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the response was that obviously this isn't, well, not necessarily obviously, but this is, was not their intention. Um, their main objective was to draft something which means that they can't be sued at any point in time in the future by someone who maybe buys the a future crypto punk, well, one of the crypto punks that has been featured by Tiffany. So it's kind of like, look, this has the right to exist over a long period of time. It doesn't matter who the owner of the chain is or the pendant. It doesn't matter who the owner of the NFT is. This is allowed to exist um, in the future. But then there was also some comment from uh one of the people associated with the drops which suggested that there was actually a mistake in the ip language and it was an error from the team and it was when it was uploaded the draft the draft terms were basically uploaded by mistake and now they've done it correctly but again just like who are these people running these projects like i just i'm not very enamored with people running projects at the moment like what do you mean there's a error in the draft like why was the draft uploaded i don't get it i don't get why this is happening but at least it shows you that nft people read the terms and conditions and this <laughs> well this one is, person is pretty unique yeah one person did. but one our space is small enough that one person's enough to you know spread the word and, and start a conversation yeah that's true like, look, I, I get it. For for smaller teams that are not well resourced or are just like doing something a bit more kind of speculative or just trying to produce or artists or new creators putting something out there, I get it if all of your kind of legal dots aren't crossed and not perfect. But for the biggest names in the space to be putting out content, for putting out legal language and then just being like, oops, sorry, that was that was wrong let's just change it now after the sale whether that's you know tiffany's or whether it's proof it's just it's just weird to me um but as you said we are in a space that's moving as fast as it can and breaking things so we will see how these things shake out in time one of the other things we wanted to talk about was magic eden incorporating ethereum nfts when it traditionally does Solana NFTs. So I know that you follow the activity on Solana a little bit more. Most people getting into NFTs are getting in on Ethereum. What what was the kind of status of NFTs on Solana before this? And what did you think about this news? I think this piece of news is pretty, pretty exciting. It is a serious competitor for OpenSea. Um, Magic Eden creates a tremendous amount of volume. If we compare the last 30 days to OpenSea, we are um, talking about 180k users in the last 
um, 30 days as opposed to 400k users in, in the last 30 days on OpenSea. So this is serious activity that we are seeing. We are also seeing serious volume. Um, let me just check that real quick. You're seeing 70 million volume over the last 30 days compared to 500 million OpenSea over the last 30 days. And the main difference is the average price. Average NFT on OpenSea is a bit north of $250 and it's $35 on um, Magic Eden. So Magic Eden has its launch pad for NFT projects that want to well, start and launch. You can apply for that. Um, if your application is successful, you can launch your project directly via Magic Eden. This is a very, very neat feature that they have that OpenSea doesn't provide. Um, the lower price also suggests that way more NFTs um, are traded, that the entry barrier is lower for new users and new collectors. And this is why I think that Solana manages to attract new collectors because you can buy a new project with one soul, two soul, so 40 to $80. Um, and they're doing a lot of things quite cool in terms of the user interface, user experience. You, you have two rarity tools that are inbuilt into Magic Eden and you can apply um, a filtering to sort from the most common to the most rare item or vice versa and also choose which rarity algorithm you want to, um, you know, which, which should be used in the background for your sorting. So from the user experience, the platform is really, really good. And if they manage to do the Ethereum integration and provide the same quality of user experience as they're currently doing with Solana, it's going to be a serious competitor. Yeah, so this is pretty significant in the sense that it means you can buy Solana NFTs with Ether and Ethereum NFTs with Solana. So that, that's pretty cool because one of the big reasons why I, for example, wouldn't necessarily go over to Solana is just, you know, you've got to use a different wallet, you've got to recalibrate your brain, you've got to go to a particular marketplace. Whereas if you're just used to transacting in Ether and you can just do that and buy something in Solana and it's all pretty clear, I think that is a good, a good assist, a, a good kind of assistive technology. What do you think though, in terms of like, look, OpenSea, there've been many OpenSea killers before. OpenSea is the most significant marketplace. It has significant market share as the place to go to trade nfts even speaking to friends who are not in the space for example uh on a couple of days ago at a wedding i was at i was speaking <laughs> somehow nfts came up obviously and um the person i was speaking to was like oh you know i've get i'm getting to the point he was a beginner and sort of like oh you know i'm getting to the point where i've used OpenSea. so OpenSea is coming to it's kind of like the when google became a verb it's like oh you google it you google it because that's what you do to search and maybe we're getting to the point where if you want to buy an NFT, you go to OpenSea. So do we think that there can be an, an OpenSea killer and take that market share or is OpenSea just going to win now? Um, look, OpenSea tried to take Magic Eden's um, market share in Solana and failed to do so. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that Magic Eden is going to be an OpenSea killer but it's going to be a serious competitor because they already have an established business and they you know, are handling a massive amount of transactions. They're actually handling way more transactions than OpenSea um, because obviously transactions are 
um, well, cheaper, way cheaper and way faster on Solana, obviously because they also have their own launchpad drops. Um, Magic Eden in the last seven days did almost 3 million transactions, whereas OpenSea did 400K. So their business model is solid. Um, it's already existing. They don't need to take away market share from OpenSea you know, to be successful in this industry. They could continue with Solana and just be, be happy, but they want to create a multi-chain marketplace and they have a very, very good um, starting position to attack OpenSea's market share. I don't think that it's going to be an OpenSea killer immediately, but I think it's going to be a serious competitor for them. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I think I think it's good that they're doing it, and then we just wait and see. To be honest, um, excellent. Moving on, I thought this is pretty big news, but then one of the things I thought is like, is this just the same news as when Twitter integrated NFTs? So Instagram has decided to integrate NFTs, which arguably is pretty damn big deal, given that Instagram traditionally, at least, is used a lot for displaying photo photos art a great place to display that type of stuff so integrating nfts sounds like a big deal it integrated nfts and enlisted the help of artist and poet in the web3 space amber vittoria to onboard new artists and creators to display their nfts on the platform do you think this is going to go the way of the twitter integration where people kind of cared about it for a little bit and then mostly people ignored it or do you think this is more significant I think it's more significant because Instagram has a completely different set of um, of, of tools and means to monetize um, NFTs and apparently also has plans to do so. So I would assume they would have a higher priority um, on the monetization of NFTs and thus also higher priority of building features around NFTs and communicating them. Um, and I think that the communication there is really important because, you know, the more of those mainstream social media platforms integrate NFTs and talk about them, the easier it's going to get for us to go to weddings and have people um, open seeing NFTs and, and getting to that mass adoption that we all wish for in this space. Yeah, I agree. I think there does still the the importance of education around getting onboarded onto this stuff is super super important and unfortunately one of the things that will be a, a huge battle still is the perception of nft so i think in the comments when this was announced there's still just like loads and loads of anti nft type of uh, opinions but i guess one of the things that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago with in relation to reddit was that you don't need to call this stuff an nft if you don't want to like it is technically an NFT, but otherwise it's just digital art or it's just a digital collectible or it's just a digital avatar or it's just an avatar even. There's no real avatars, are there? So you don't even need to put the word digital in it. It's just an avatar. It's just um, it's just a piece of art. So people might need to think about the kind of the wording of how they frame this stuff more than they actually need to think about the actual education. Yeah, the, the framing is massively important. I was talking to, a, uh, to an author a couple of weeks ago who published his book, book via OpenSea um, and also tried to you know, 
talk to his traditional readers who used to buy his books via um, Kindle um, and Amazon, they didn't like NFTs at all. And it seems like all of the self-publishing community has a very negative um, view on NFTs. So it's the same for gaming. It's the same for the traditional social media businesses. Um, a lot of framing, a lot of education, a lot of narrative building that we all need to collectively do to change that negative perception in the future. I agree. Yeah, definitely. It's all about framing. And I think one of the things that when people, when I've spoken to people, even in the music industry about how, what they might like to do in order to get their fans on board, it's just all about framing. And it's also about what you offer. Like you have to offer them something that is cool and interesting. If you don't offer them something cool and interesting and you just run away with the money, then yeah, that's pretty bad. So it is all about framing and ultimately it's all about the offer that you put on the table. Thinking about what Lamborghini offered and put on the table, I've always thought, I think there's a lot of cool stuff that car companies could even do, particularly, well, even digital cars, I've always thought would be kind of cool. But Lamborghini are entering the NFT space by giving fans an opportunity to collect a series of NFTs over a number of months to obtain rare digital collectibles, wallpapers, digital sketches, and in real life VIP tours. Would that tempt you? If you would replace the word digital before sketches with physical, then yes. Having a physical sketch of a Lamborghini car, that would be cool. Why why do you think that is? I don't know. Like I, I still I still value, you know, physical goods for the history. Like if the sketch was created as a physical first and it, it's kind of like the provenance of it. You know, it's kind of like the provenance of an NFT. Mm. Then it was digitalized and I want to have like the first, the original thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, imagine having like the, what are you talking about old sketches or new sketches? Like, you know, a sketch old of sketches. the, yeah, old, old like sketches. the 1950s Lamborghinis. Yeah, yeah. Or... All new sketches would be digital first, I assume. But then maybe an NFT could be the authenticator of that, potentially. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true, of course. Yeah, so pretty so cool physical stuff. Physical sketch is tempting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it is definitely interesting, though, because people get, and that's why even on the Instagram side, we were talking, like, people get caught up in hating on the digital aspect of stuff, being like, oh, it's not real, blah, 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 blah. It's like, look, guys, you can use the NFT to sell the physical stuff as well, or at least potentially. And people still do value physical things, which I think is important. The, in the the VIP tours, one of the things that you could do was go to their factory in Italy, I think. That sounded kind of cool. But there is no, there's no digital car here. <laughs> it's like yeah, one yeah. of the things, or there's no digital car and there's also no real car. So if Lamborghini's entering, I would have liked there to be a car involved is that yeah, like, too much to ask for didn't what was the name I, I hope i'm getting it right i think it was crypto motors actually car designers who created uh, digital cars first as nfts with the goal to also build a racing game around them was a thing like two years ago honestly i didn't track the progress of that but i loved 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 the 
you know, digital sketches, the digital cars, how they showcase them. And it would be kind of cool for just me thinking out loud Lamborghini. They must have a lot of prototypes that didn't make it to market and, you know, create a digital car series based on those prototypes and making them collectible for the first time would be a cool, cool approach. Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be very cool. (laughs) Yeah, actually, one of my former clients, or like when I worked at the law firm, we had, uh, I worked for Aston Martin on a a couple of cases. I might, I might send a message to uh, the, the, the partner on that matter to be like, look, they should be doing something in this area, to be honest. Um, Yeah, go for it. That'd be pretty cool. Awesome. So I think that's that's everything we're going to talk about this week. Another week full of stuff. It's good to chat, mate. Good stuff. Let's wrap it there. Absolutely, yeah. And continue it next week and another episode where we'll be able to say good morning from sunny San Diego. I kind of like getting used to that. Yeah, lucky you. Lucky you. <laughs> All right, man. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. Bye.